Good to be with you all today. I just have to say, oh, I am so filled up right now to have the choir back this morning. Oh, and to hear all those voices coming at me and voices from over there and all your voices behind me. Oh, that was just such enriching time of worship. So, so glad to be here. Um, there was a recent uh, study put out uh, by the Survey Center on American Life. It was a new study on friendship. And in this study, almost half of all Americans reported having fewer than three close friends. 12% claimed to, claimed to have zero friends today, which is four times as many as 30 years ago who are claiming that. And the pandemic has only made things worse, we know. Uh, and friends, if this is true, this is not good for us, it's not good for our world, it's not good for the church, it's not good for our spiritual lives, because God's word tells us that we're made for friendship. We're made for relationship. Uh, in Genesis 2, God said it was not good for Adam to be alone. And this was before sin had entered the world. This was before the fall. Adam was in the paradise of Eden, walking with God, yet something was wrong. Something was not good. Tim Keller has an amazing sermon on this, on friendship, and I want you to hear some of what he says. He says this, God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy paradise without friends. The ache for friends is the one ache that is the, not the result of sin. To need and to want deep friendships is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but of maturity. If you are lonely, if you want more friends, if you want closer friends, if you feel lonely, you are not dysfunctional, you are fine. You are lonely because you're not a tree. You're lonely because you're not a machine. You're lonely because you were built this way. What is the purpose of everything God has done since creation? To make us friends. Wow. If you're feeling or experiencing loneliness, maybe now or from time to time, I just want you to be freed of condemnation, to be freed of shame because you are human. This is a sign that God has made you for something. You know, when you're dehydrated, your body gives you a signal that you need water. When you're hungry, your body gives you a signal that you need to eat. And when you go for too long without quality relationships, of relationships, your soul will give you a signal that something is wrong. And last week, as I preached through Acts 20, my last point was about uh, this, uh, the lifestyle of the, the Apostle Paul, how he lived in loving friendships with so many people. And this sermon is really a continuation of that last point. Um, and so I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 21 with me. And I feel compelled by the Spirit to speak to you today about the topic of friendship. And as I initially read this passage, I thought, what in the world can a preacher turn, uh, turn into, uh, you know, get out of this? This, is, this seems like a travelogue of just Paul goes here, then he goes here, then he goes here. And as I prayed about it, I just saw this theme of friendship emerge. And last week, we heard about Paul's goodbye to the Ephesian elders, his, his co-pastors. And I want to pick up at the end of that speech where he says goodbye. Um, and as we go through uh, this next part of Paul's journey, I'm going to make six observations about friendship that will help us be friends, make friends, and enjoy the uh, friendship in this journey of life together. So the first observation I'd like to make before we get into the text is friends share affection. They share affection. In verse 1 of chapter 21, 
It says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. Now, the reference here is again to that departure of Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. And they were, they were so bonded together in love. It's like they, they had to tear themselves away from each other. I just imagine like two pieces of like extra strong Velcro and it's like, oh, we're, we're pulling ourselves apart from each other. And then back in chapter 20 at the end of the speech, it says they all wept as they embraced him and they kissed him. And what grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Do you see this outpouring of affection that they had? I mean, this included men who were acting like this, hugging and weeping and kissing, grieving over a friend's departure. Our our culture sometimes falsely thinks or even teaches that only women are supposed to act like this or show this type of affection, but it's for everybody. It's simply human to show, to need, and to give affection to our friends. That's what friends do. They share this affection. And actually, friendship is built when we express our feelings of love and appreciation towards each other. When we communicate that we enjoy being in someone else's presence. When we express our gratitude for who they are and what they mean in our lives. That builds friendship. And when we appropriately share you know, a hug or, or some type of physical gesture. For them, it was a, a peck on the lips. I don't think that would really communicate affection today. <laughs> Probably would communicate something a little different. But in an appropriate way of, of showing love and affection and, and friendship and, and all those things. And so the Apostle Peter, he wrote to the church to make every effort to add to our faith mutual affection. That actually part of our Christian discipleship is to grow in how much we are showing mutual affection to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's part of our sanctification. That's part of our discipleship because friends share affection. Second thing is friends seek out connection. They seek out connection. Let's continue with the story. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara, We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia and went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. Pause for a comment here. Remember where Paul's first missionary journey began all those weeks ago? It was at Cyprus. That that island that was like paradise, that kind of compared it to Hawaii. That was where he first went on his first journey. And Paul kind of sees it in the distance as he's making his way to Jerusalem, knowing what's going to happen to him. And I imagine he's now calling to mind all that God has done in his life, all of the people that he's met along the way, all the people who have come to know Christ, all of the co-pastors and leaders who he has raised up, and all of the friends that he has made along the way. In fact, as Luke is writing this final stage of Paul's journey, we're seeing that everywhere Paul goes, Paul has friends. Paul has friends. William Barclay says, one of the great privileges of belonging to the church is the fact that no matter where we go, we are sure to find a community of like-minded people into which we may enter. Those who are in the family of the church have friends all over the world. This is Paul's experience in verse 3. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo and we sought out 
we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them several days. Do you see how Paul sought it out? He sought connection with the disciples wherever he went. And uh, he seeks them out even though he's only landed for a week, for a brief period, he wants to connect with them. One of my best friends uh, is a guy named Robbie. Uh, a few of you, I think, have gotten the chance to meet him. Uh, he's been to our church a few times. He's done spe special music. He's the guy with the big hair. A few of you might recall him. Uh, we've been friends since college. Uh, he sought out friendship with me. Uh, and Robbie is he's a youth pastor in Indiana, and he's just one of the best people I've ever seen at friendship. And he, and he has lots of friends, but he also has an unbelievable amount of quality friendships. I mean, many different, it's, it's amazing to me how many people consider Robbie their best friend. It's like, how many best friends could one person have? You know, they, they're like, they would say Robbie is their confidant, Robbie is the person they go to when they're in trouble. This guy's just amazing at friendships. And, uh, you know, I said to him, you know, one time, I was talking, like, you know, does it, does it bother you at all, like, how much you reach out to others? You know, and he kind of he said to me, you know, when I first started out kind of doing this, it used to bother me how much I would be initiating with other people and they weren't initiating with me. That would bother me. And I would compare how much I was doing versus what they were doing. But he said, you know what, Nate, I made up my mind that I'm just going to be an initiator. I'm just going to be the one who initiates these friendships. And over time, most people reciprocate. Eventually, maybe not right away, and if they don't, that's, that's fine, but I just made it in my mind that I'm going to be somebody who pursues friendships. And because of that, he has so many quality friendships. It's, it's amazing. And now we, we have a weekly phone call, um, and Robbie's so busy now that actually I have to be the one to initiate with him because uh, he'll forget about me. So. <laughs> but the tables have turned, but we have a, he's one of my best friends, and he's great at seeking out connection. That's what friends do. They seek out connection. Third, Friends share their things. Notice how everywhere Paul and his friends go, they always have a place to stay. They always have what they need. This was a, a supreme value in the Greco-Roman world at that time, but it was also more so a value of the church. Remember Acts 2? This was a community that did not consider anything to be their own. They shared everything they had. In fact, some people, they sold homes. They sold property, they sold land, and they placed the money at the apostles' feet and said, anybody who needs this can have it. That's the type of community and friendship that was in the early church. They had a, a, a mikasa sukasa attitude of, of what's mine is yours because it's all God's and we're all in the same family. Paul's friends consistently opened their home to him, fed him, gave him lodging, and more. You know, many of you know that in Laura I's journey, we've had several different pregnancy losses that have been very difficult. And after one of those losses, we were having a meal with friends, and we were telling them the pain that we were experiencing. And it kind of came up in the conversation that we had a medical bill that was just emotionally painful to pay. And we could have afforded it. It would have been a hit to us, but we, we could have paid it. But I believe it was the next day we had a check from our friends for the amount that we needed to cover that bill. And they said, don't worry about it. We're taking care of it. And that meant the world 
to us. That they would go to that effort to show love and concern. And it's not because they had so much extra. It was a sacrifice to them to do that. But it showed love that they would share what they had to take care of a need that we had. And we didn't even have to ask. That's what friends do. Friends share their stuff, their resources, their homes, their money, all because they love each other. Friends share their things. Friends also forgive each other. They forgive each other. Oh, how we need that. If you're friends with anyone for long enough, they will inevitably let you down in some way, I'm sorry to say. They will do something that annoys you. They will do something that will hurt you. They won't come through for you in some way or another. Because the fact is, we are all great sinners in need of constant grace. And there's a hidden example of forgiveness in this passage. In verse 8, it says, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Do you remember who the seven were? Remember in Acts chapter 6, where there is a, a, a conflict in the church. The Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, they were complaining that the Hebraic Jews were being overlooked in the distribution of the food for the widows. And they bring this to the apostles and they say to them, appoint seven men from among you who can oversee this ministry. We're going to concentrate on word and prayer. Do you remember that? They appoint seven. Philip was one of the seven. Another who was one of the seven was a man named Stephen. And in Acts chapter 7, and uh, I believe 7 and 8, uh, we, we learn about Stephen's martyrdom. But I can imagine that Stephen and Philip were great friends because they shared in this ministry together. They were leaders together. They loved Jesus. They sharpened one another. And there was Paul at Stephen's martyrdom where he was stoned to death. And there was Paul collecting the coats and giving his approval of Stephen's killing. And now, Paul has become an apostle, and he's made his way to Caesarea, where Philip lives. How easy would it have been for Philip to say, that guy killed my friend. He doesn't deserve to stay in my home. He doesn't deserve any type of connection with me. How easy and justified for Philip to feel that way. But now that Paul has become a believer, even though this horrible thing has happened, he has forgiven Paul. And not just forgiven Paul, but now he invites him into his home as a brother and a companion. Only the power of the gospel of God's grace could make something like this happen. That's the power of the gospel. Now, thankfully, I don't think most of us have had to forgive something like this. But if we are to have friends in this life, if we are to have friends in the church, we will have to forgive others. Trust may take time to build back up. But because that we, we have been forgiven every day, time and time again, by our Lord Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and shed his blood for us. And because we've been forgiven again and again, we are called to share that same grace again and again. That's why we pray every week. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And that's a dangerous prayer. Lord, forgive me in the way that I'm forgiving the people in my life, those who have done me wrong. Lord, forgive me just the way that I'm forgiving others. And I hope we can pray that. Friends, forgive. Friends, number five, friends support each other through hardships. They support each other through hardships. So Paul is going to Jerusalem, even though they know that he is going to be somehow apprehended by the authorities, as the children's sermon uh, helped us see so well. Thank you for that. Um, And this is also reminiscent of Jesus' march to Jerusalem, where his face was set to Jerusalem knowing what was going to happen to him. And that's what Luke wrote about back in his gospel, and he's kind of making a similar comparison to what now Paul is going to have to face. And the disciples very well know how friendly Jerusalem has been to the early Christian movement, right? Or not. And so they know what lies ahead. So it's really amazing to me to read what happens in verse 15. After this prophecy, Paul, you're going to be tied up, you're going to be, going to be apprehended. It says, after this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Mason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. If there was ever a moment to bail, this would have been the best moment. <laughs> All of these consistent messages of, we know what's going to happen to you, Paul. A prophet has come. We, you're going to be apprehended. All of these horrible things are going to happen to you. And Luke writes, and then we went to Jerusalem with him. What? You did? That's amazing. You went together, and then even some people who weren't with you, some people from Caesarea, they decided to go with you too, even though they knew what was going to happen? Paul was a great friend who had great friends. They stuck with him. They supported him. They went with him knowing what was coming. I think most Christians give Timothy probably the pride of place in Paul's life. And I I want to offer a perhaps controversial take here. I think Paul's best friend was probably actually Luke. I think it was Luke. Because why do we know so much about Paul's life? As we've been reading in Acts, a lot of the narrative has been we. Luke has been with him for a lot of this, for most of this. And we know most of this information because him and Paul were, were talking and swapping stories and sharing, sharing dinners together and spending nights and evenings. We know all this stuff because Luke and Paul shared that. And that's why it says we started on our way. Luke was with him. And late, much later on, later in life, when Paul finally gets to Rome and he's in prison and he's writing his final letter, most people think, uh, to, uh, to Timothy, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he says to him, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Everyone else had somehow gone on their way, but Luke stuck closer than a brother to Paul. And it's because of that friendship that we even have the book of Acts as it is in our Bibles. Craig Keener says, true friends were viewed as, were viewed as those who would share in one's hardships and do whatever proved necessary to help one, including in war or in the law court. That's what Luke did. He traveled with Paul. He stuck with Paul, knowing that hardship and trials and suffering and all of these things would be ahead of him. He stuck with him. Luke was there for Paul. That's what friends do. 
They support each other through the hardest moments and valleys of life. And finally, my last point I'd like to make about this is friends seek God together. They seek God together. And I think this is the most important point of them all. So if you listen to any of them, listen to this one. Verse 17, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. And they praised God because what these people most shared in common was their love for God, their love for God and Jesus Christ. And the friendships that we see in the book of Acts, the friendships that we see in Scripture, the most important thing about them is that they are people who are pursuing God together. They're praising God together. They're praying together. They're discipling each other. They're doing the work of mission together. You know, C.S. Lewis said that all friendships have to be about something. You know, it's, friends are not people who are just looking at each other. That's romance. Friends are people who are looking at something else together. You know, it could be something as small as sports or knitting or whatever you have you. It could be that. But it needs to be about something. And so Christians of all people, we have the most bonding thing in the universe to look at. The face of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at him, the same person. We have the most unifying and important thing for our friendships to be about. And that means... If we are truly pursuing Jesus and putting him first, that means we can be friends with anybody. We can be friends with anyone. We can be friends with Christians around the world that we haven't met simply because we both love Jesus. People from different cultures, people with whom you share zero common interests. If you both love Jesus, you can be friends. Men and women, young and old, rich and poor, if we love Jesus... We can be friends. And unfortunately, sometimes that may be our problem. We may experience lack of friendship in the church because our friendship with Jesus is lagging. Maybe we've lost our spiritual zeal. Maybe we've lost our first love. Maybe Jesus is not first. And I want to give you an image to help us with this. It's, it's a little bit basic. But I, I, I use this image when I do premarital counseling courses, but it, pl- it applies to all friendships. Can you guys see this over here? Okay. It's very, this is gonna be a little basic. All right, this is thing one, and this is thing two. I tell people, for your marriage, but again, if this applies to any relationship, If you would both seek Jesus together, if you would say the thing that we are setting the friendship of our relationship around, if it's Jesus, then you will be more bonded and unified and closer together than anything else in this world. That's the most important thing you could do with any of your friendships. We need this. Friends seek God together. They seek the Lord together. They pray They want to sharpen each other. They want to help each other grow as disciples. And if we make our friendships about him, we will be one. We will be unified. 
we will be together. You guys still see me? There we go. If we do this, friends, our friendships will have something to be about. They will be about our mutual love for Jesus Christ, our mutual mission for his kingdom, and our uh, mutual goal to become like him. You know, the early covenant movement, how many know what it was called? I'm hearing a couple. Yes. Mission friends. Mission friends. A group of people who said that we are pursuing the same mission and the most important thing about that is we are doing that together as friends. And if we pursue the same mission and if we pursue a lifestyle of loving friendship, then we're just on target. We are mission friends. And that's what I'm happy to be a part of. I'm glad to be a part of the mission friends movement. So friends, as you look at this list, how would you grade yourself on how you're doing at being a friend right now? Look at these categories. Which of these do you need to work on? Because to have good friends, we must be good friends. And friends are not discovered simply, but they are forged over time. And these are things that forge friendship. If we would share our affection, if we would seek out connection, share our things, forgive each other, support each other through hardship, and seek God together. And now as you go about forging friendships, I want to put just a few more thoughts in your mind because I want to give you some realistic expectations, okay? For, number one, is, as important as friends are, they can never fulfill you like God can. They can never fulfill you like God can. Don't turn friendships or relationships into, a, into an idol. We need them because we're human, but only God can give us what we truly need. So don't expect them to fulfill everything you need. Only God can pursue him first. Second, I want you to be realistic with how much time it takes to feel close to somebody else. I've been reading a book on friendship the last several weeks, and in this book it claims that it takes 200 hours for someone to feel like a close friend, to make a close friend. That's seven hours a day for a month. All right, so it takes a long time, and that's not counting the hours that it takes to maintain the relationship and keep it up. So it takes a long time to feel like you have a good friend. And also, I want you to be, be realistic with how many close friends that you can have. And some people have more capacities than, than others, depending on your personality and your lifestyle. And I think it's healthy to have a good circle of, of friends, but not everybody is going to be our close friend. That's just not reality. And I think a good, a healthy model that I think of in my own life is this. Jesus, he had the crowd. He had the 70 that he sent out, two by two. He had the 12 who he called to be in, in his life. And he also had his inner, inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And then he never forgot his one-on-one -on -one time with his heavenly father. He often withdrew to lonely places to pray. So that's what I think about for my own life. Maybe it'd be helpful for you. And some of you, maybe you're here and you're just, you're just longing, you just wish you had one good friend. I just wish I had one close friend. And if that's you, please don't feel condemned. 
Please don't feel ashamed. Seek God first. Ask the Lord to give you a friend. And begin in the small way that you can to seek out connection, doing some of these things. And remember, not everyone's going to reciprocate. Remember my friend Robbie? (laughs) Not everyone's going to reciprocate, but we can do our part. Try to be a friend to somebody else. And that's how we can make good friends. And finally, the reason that we do all of this, the reason that we can do all of this, is because Jesus came down to be our friend. To be our friend. Don't lose the wonder of that. One of the titles of Jesus given in the Gospels is Friend of Sinners. Friend of Sinners. Even though we are great sinners, Jesus chose to come down, to die for us on the cross, to shed his blood for us so that we could be his eternal friend forever. The gospel is about friendship and how Jesus made it possible for us to be friends with him. And now, we do, as he has made that possible, we extend that same love and grace to others and share this gift of friendship because Jesus came to be our friend. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in your sovereign wisdom when you created us, you saw that it was not good for us to be alone. So you created community. You created relationships. And we thank you that you know us. You know every part of us. You, know, you built us. You made us. You know how we work. You know what our souls need. Lord, I want to pray for my friends who are here this morning and may be feeling lonely. They may be feeling discouraged. They may need a friend. Oh God, I pray that you would help them today. I pray that you would help them to feel not condemned, but to feel human.